The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. in Boston, and here's your top five at five. It is decision day, waiting on the Fed's final rate call of the year. Futures, they are flat, so maybe a little higher. Sam Bankman freed behind bars in the Bahamas. The judge there denying him bail and deeming him a flight risk. $300 billion under management and bearish as ever. A worldwide exchange exclusive with the CIO of Calsters Plus. Tracking the Tesla stock sell-off as investors pressure. Elon Musk gains momentum. And another day, another COVID-0 policy rollback in China. What Beijing is doing now that could set the tone for a complete reversal in the year ahead. It is all happening on this Wednesday, December 14th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here on this busy Wednesday. And let's kick it off, as always, with a check on how your markets and money may be looking on this morning. Well, we're seeing stock futures up a little bit. Dow futures up 75%. All or 75%. That would be a lot. 75% gain. Retire now. Buy a solid gold yacht. Everything's fine. They're up 75 points. There we go. This after yesterday's modest gains, and they were modest, despite, by the way, that huge initial pop. I mean, were you old enough to remember that? Yesterday, the inflation data came out, futures roared, stocks roared, the Dow was up something like 900, and then it quickly came back down to earth. And right now, the Dow Dow futures indicating a gain of 75 points. In the bond market yields just a smidge under 3.5% at 3.49. Energy, oil, right around 75 a barrel. By the way, this is interesting. New numbers out of the IEA show that Russian oil and liquids production is almost back to pre-war levels. At least it was just before those full sanctions kicked in, which might explain why oil has been soft as of late. A bunch of royal Russian oil hitting the market right ahead of those sanctions. Price of WTI crude is at $75.74. Now, Bitcoin, it has not been soft. Bitcoin is actually back to its highest level in more than a month. It is nearly back to 18000 despite everything else that has been going on. All right. Now, let us go worldwide. Get a check on the early trade in Europe and some signs there that soaring consumer prices may be slowing just a bit in the UK. Rabil Gumedi is standing by in our London newsroom with a little bit of good inflation news. Rabil, take it away. 
Yeah, Brian, it's a good morning to you. Look, certainly that inflation print will be the key perspective to take a look at, right? It is indeed decision day out in the U.S. We expect the de- uh, decision day as well out uh, in England tomorrow with the Bank of England said to make their uh, interest rates decision there. And it will follow on from today's inflation number. 10.7% is the mark for the month of November. It is better than the 10.9% that was expected. And it, of course, drops off from that 11.1% figure we saw in the month of October, which was the highest in 41 years. So, yes, positive, but still double-digit numbers for inflation, not necessarily easing off as the Bank of England would necessarily like. And that perhaps still means that that outlook for interest rates may still be a little bit high. So you are seeing red across this European market picture. We are also expecting the European Central Bank to come out with a decision of their own as well with regards to interest rates. Uh, bond purchases will be the key factor uh, to be looked out there as quantitative tightening becomes a discussion point. Whether they set out exactly what the path will look out for on their front will be quite interesting too, uh, as that is said to happen to the North Bank, as well as the Swiss National Bank also said to come out with interest rates decision. For now, though, following yesterday's US CPI print, we're back in the red. A lot of red on that screen behind you, Arabiel. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. All right, let's step out of the markets for a moment and get to this morning's top story in the latest around the Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX saga. Silvana now is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Brian, good morning to you. All right, well, Sam Bankman-Fried remains behind bars in the Bahamas this morning after the magistrate overseeing his case there denied a petition by Bankman-Fried's legal team to set bail at $250,000. Now, the court calling the disgraced FTX founder a, quote, great flight risk, ordering him to remain in custody until at least February 8th. Now, this comes after U.S. authorities officially charged Bankman-Fried with eight counts, including conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers and lenders, money laundering and violations of campaign finance laws. When asked if more charges against other FTX-connected players are possible, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, said his team is not done yet. Bankman-Fried faces decades in prison if convicted. As Bankman-Fried's future hangs in the balance, so too does that of FTX. On Capitol Hill yesterday, the firm's new CEO slamming the company's lack of oversight and lack of controls in the front of the House Financial Services Committee. This is really old-fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. Uh, Sophisticated, perhaps, in the way uh, they were able to sort of hide it from people, uh, uh, frankly, right in front of their eyes. But this isn't this isn't uh, uh, you know sophisticated whatsoever. This is just plain old embezzlement. Brian, and it's day two of the hearings, and they will be taking place in front of the Senate Banking Committee today. Yeah, those are quite the hearings. Yeah. Uh, maybe having more fireworks on Capitol Hill today. Savannah now. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll see you again. Thank you very much, Savannah. All right. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money. In the Fed, making its latest rate call at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. The big money is on a one-half of 1% rate hike, although three-fourths of 8% is not off the table. But maybe the hike itself is less important than what the Fed indicates about the future. 
So let's talk about that and what else matters to your portfolio heading into the new year. Joining us is Linda Bakshian, Portfolio Manager and Vice President at Federated Investors. All right, Linda, it is Fed Day. We are likely to get a three-fourths of a percent or a half a percent rate increase. For you and your clients, does that extra quarter percent matter that much? I mean, if, if we get 75 basis points, you sell everything, go get the shotgun and run out to the barn? I mean, how do things look based on the different outcomes? Right. You're, you're absolutely right, Brian. You know, 50 or 75 does not really make a difference at this point in time. I think what we're really concentrating on is how far and how fast that inflation number is going to fall in 2023 and how committed the Fed is that to that 2% target. Uh, and wages really play a big part in this and the, labor, the strength of labor market in 2023, together with potential China reopening uh, and also, you know, volatility that you just mentioned around energy earlier on in, your, in the segment. So I think all of those things put together means that it's not going to be a straight line for inflation, which means that today's number or whatever the, the Fed wants to announce, 50 basis points, 75, really doesn't really make that much of a difference right now. Investors should be positioning for 2023. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I hate to, I don't want to throw water on our Fed coverage, of course. The Fed does matter. Their outlook probably matters more. What they actually do may mean a little bit less. All right. So we're focused, as you said, Linda, on 2023. Hard to believe it's it's already here. My gosh. Uh, that said, what are we focused on? What are the key things that we need to be watching? Sure. For at Federated Hermes, we do expect that earnings are going to fall to around $200 level for the S&P 500. They're about $230 right now. So come uh, January, February, fourth quarter earnings and 2023 guidance, we do expect earnings to start to fall, really to get driven by margins uh, coming down. Energy and tech are probably not going to be big contributors to that earnings number. In addition, volatility is again going to be the name of the game in 2023. The pace of economic growth, inflation, Fed, China, earnings, geopolitical issues are all going to create volatility. Um, And what we're really facing is a slowdown in the economy. We just don't know how fast and how if it's going to be a soft landing or a rocky landing. And hence, I think having a portfolio that has some cash to take opportunity to take advantage of opportunities that they arise uh, probably, you know, in the first half of next year uh, and also tilt more towards value dividend uh, sectors of the of the economy. We'd like pharmaceuticals, for example. We do think that pharma uh, and healthcare is an all-weather type portfolio. And you've been covering energy extensively. Energy prices are probably going to, you know, move higher if we have a soft landing. China reopens. Uh, it's going to put pressure on energy prices again. Yeah. And we like materials on the back of that as well. Yeah, full China reopen, Linda, could add maybe two and a half to three million barrels a day of oil demand. Of course, we'll see what happens. They've reversed course before. Linda Bakshin, always love having you on. Thanks for getting up early, Linda. Appreciate it, and we will see you soon. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, well, we are just getting started on this busy Wednesday, and we come back dipping our toes back into the water. What retail investors are saying about stocks heading into the new year. 
and from retail to institutional, why pension fund giant Calsters is worried about the markets. Going to hear Chris Ailman's exclusive views coming up. That's a, that's a view you can't miss. And why Tesla's terrible ride lately may not get any better anytime soon. We'll talk about all that and more. Stock futures are up. We're glad you're up. And we are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome and welcome back, everybody. And we know it's early, but we still have some questions for you. What do you think the markets are going to do next year? How worried are you about a recession? And what are you thinking about doing with your money? I know it's a lot to throw at you at this hour, and everybody's probably got a different answer. But if we can kind of pull all of you, we could probably get a good sense of where things may be headed. And Investopedia has done just that. So let's dive into a bunch of important issues and questions. Caleb Silver is the editor-in-chief at Investopedia, and he joins us now. Caleb, you're kind of like the Google of the stock market, right? I mean, everybody, everybody lies in public, but then when they, they search, you know what they're actually looking for. So from a market's perspective, what are people looking for right now? What are they most worried about right now? Yeah, good to be with you, Brian. And we've been surveying our readers since before the pandemic, but we're always looking at what they're looking at because they come to us to learn about things that they're confused about in the markets or if they're trying to make a decision. So in our latest survey, which just wrapped up last week, we found that 20% are very worried about their investments. Brian, believe it or not, that's down 9% from September when everybody was scared. A little 20% uh, rally in the Dow will help things a little bit. Softer talk from the Fed. 20% though, very worried. 26% said they were expecting a drop of 10% or more by February. That's even down 20%, 18% from when we pulled them back in September. 19% are expecting gains of 5% or more. So you got this mix of folks feeling like we're going to fall further, but a very few small, brave crowd thinking that we're going to have 5% or more gains in the next six months. All right, so go back to your first point. One in five of your surveyors, of those surveyed, say they are, quote, very worried, but that's actually less than it was. So it's the trend. Well, the numbers are still bad, Caleb, but the trend seems more positive. 
Yeah, yeah, they're warming up to the markets, and this is over the last month or so. They started to get a little bit more comfortable with investing again, started buying stocks again, started buying index funds and ETFs, but also putting money into safer places too. So that while they're worried, they want to put money to work, but they're realizing there finally is an alternative. So we saw a lot of our respondents buy more CDs, buy more money markets, and then favoring those big blue-chip stocks again. So what are they worried about? They're worried about a recession. Most of them are worried about a recession next year. A lot of them are making safer investments. 10%, only 10% say they're making riskier investments. Bitcoin was not on that list this year uh, in this latest round. 55%, a little bit more than half expecting a recession next year. And a recession is the biggest concern they have going into 2023. Used to be inflation. It used to be uh, rising interest rates uh, by the Fed. Now it's a pure recession that most of them are worried about. But they have walls of worry all around them. And they've been worried about uh, recession, inflation, Fed raising rates, supply chain issues all year long. But the but the concerns, Brian, are starting to ease a little bit. They are. But it, again, going back to these data points we've got <clears throat> from your survey, Caleb, people are still bearish. I mean, to your point, it's, it's maybe they're a little less bearish, but nobody or that small, brave group, I guess, as you called them, is expecting gains. Kind of sounds like everybody else's. Is pretty negative, which, which, by the way, Caleb, as you know, we've been doing this a long time. When everyone's negative, maybe that's kind of a positive. Yeah, that's right. And so the more scared people get, usually that's a pretty good contrarian indicator. You do it in your own surveys. AAI shows the same thing. Bank of America's mutual fund manager survey, same thing. When people are at their most scared, that's when things start to turn around a little bit. Not to say that's going to happen this time, but people are have been extremely scared. Back in the fall, Brian, as you remember, in the depths of the bear market, people were pretty scared to put money back to work. But we're watching money flows week after week. They're starting to come back into equities finally. Today, obviously, a very huge day for investors, maybe the biggest day of the year. But we're also looking and we're constantly looking at what they've been looking for, what they've been searching for to your earlier point. So we finally have have the Investopedia 2022 terms of the year, and there's some pretty fascinating ones. Let's run through them. Are you ready? You give, give us your top ones quickly. I want to know. Yeah. Don't tell me. Oh, the poison pill? What? Poison pill. And you can thank Elon Musk for at least one or two of these. Poison pill, obviously, what the Twitter board was thinking about doing when Musk put out that $54.20 bid to buy all of Twitter. They were thinking about a poison pill, driving that share price up, a recession, obviously, on everybody's mind. Expect that to be huge next year. Hostile takeover. Thank you again, Elon Musk. Cold storage. Thank you, Sam Bankman-Fried, and thank you, FTX and Celsius. People are now thinking about how to store their crypto, a bear market. Obviously, that's been a big word throughout the year. The Fed funds rate, Brian, nobody knows about this until they have to know about it, and people really care about the Fed funds rate. We're going to find out a lot about that today. But some of these other ones are fascinating. Capitulation. Never quite got it. Guilts, yeah. got that from the U.K. government. So every, what everybody was looking for all year, that's what we care about because that shows you where investors' mindset was throughout this tumultuous year of 2022. I can't. I, I, can't, I, I understand the must-up poison pill, number one. Well, at least, hey, at least, Caleb, we got guilts in there. That's going to be my wordle starting word today is going to be guilts. I'll let you know how it goes. Caleb Silver. Great to see you, my man. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, don't start with guilt. Start with Xerox. It works every day. Trust me. All right, on deck. Our relationship with China growing worse as trade tensions continue to rise. We'll tell you about it. Coming up next, right here on WEX. Dow Futures up a touch, and we're back right after this. 
From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome, welcome back, everybody. Time now for a stock alert. Let's take a closer look at shares of Tesla. And as you know, it has not been pretty. Shares of the electric car maker down nearly 30% only since October 27th. That is the day Elon Musk closed on his Twitter deal and appointed himself chief twit. The rapid Tesla price drop prompting one of the company's largest retail shareholders to call for the company's board to, quote, perform shock therapy to resuscitate the stock price, namely by way of a major share buyback. Tesla's stock sell-off also hitting Musk's personal bottom line. He is no longer the world's wealthiest person. The world's wealthiest person is now actually LVMH CEO Bernard Arnault. That's right. The world's wealthy, wealthiest person is now European. Enjoy that 95% tax rate. Either way, let's take an even longer-term view of Tesla stock. And Looking at that, it's even worse. And this could, I guess, count as your RBI, but it's not. We have another one coming up. According to the folks at Compound Research, since its last peak in November, Tesla shares are down more than 60%, and that is the stock's biggest drawdown to date, even bigger than the 28-day sell-off that it saw in the early days of the pandemic. Needless to say, it has been a rough run for Tesla. All right, let's step outside of the stock market for a moment, get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including... Some really nasty weather across a large part of America. NBC's Philip Mena is to blame, and he's also <laughs> in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. I don't know if I am to blame, but we do begin to, this morning with that uh, deadly winter storm system and now marching east. Blizzard-like conditions have already plagued the plains and the Midwest. And in the south, deadly tornadoes tore through multiple states, leveling homes and damaging businesses. In uh, Keithville, Louisiana, one child has died and a mother is still missing after a tornado struck the town. Officials say there are multiple injuries across the state due to severe weather. In Texas, at least five people were injured after a tornado swept through the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Today marks 10 years since the deadliest elementary school shooting in U.S. history. One decade ago, 26 lives were lost at Sandy Hook, including 21st graders. Schools will be closed today in Newtown, Connecticut. Memorial events are planned to honor the victims. And finally, a milestone in the sports world. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin scored the 800th goal of his career after pulling off a hat trick in a 7-3 victory over the Blackhawks. He is the third player in NHL history to hit that achievement behind Wayne Gretzky and Gordie Howe. Those are some legendary names, Brian. Yeah, certainly is. And uh, he has been playing for a long time. Great to see Thank you very much. Philip. good to see you. Take care. You got it. Good to see you. All right, coming up, it is your morning RBI. We'll get random but interesting on what we could see for the markets next year and what some big-time investors really think might be in store. It could surprise you. And we've got the numbers coming up. Stick around.
Happy Fed Day. The central bank set to raise rates again today. So what does it mean for stocks and your money? We've got an exclusive conversation with the CIO of Calsters. No bail for Bankman Freed, the accused scammer behind bars, as prosecutors pull back the curtain on what they are calling one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. And shutdown averted? Congress may have a deal to keep the lights on in D.C. It is Wednesday, December 14th. This is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome, welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a great start to your Wednesday. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get right now to it and get a quick check on the stock market futures. This time yesterday, they were up a little bit like they are now. That softer inflation. Remember, inflation is not coming down. The rate of increases is coming down. It's an important distinction there to remember. Prices still high. Either way, stock market was set to rocket. I mean, Dow futures up 900 points, opened up soaring, then just came back down to earth. Quite the reversal, more than 2%. Dow futures, either way, up about 80 points right now. We'll get more in the markets in just a moment. For now, though, let's get a little more macro. And it is time for nearly $300 billion worth of advice. The California State Teachers Retirement System, known as CalSTRS, is one of the biggest pension funds in the world. And it is the largest educator-only pension fund in the world. As of October 31st, it managed just about $298 billion. and was a big holder of stocks like Apple, Microsoft, Google, J&J, and ExxonMobil. Chris Ailman is the CIO of CalSTRS, and we had a chance to speak with him about the coming year and began by asking if he is a very simple question. Are you bullish or bearish? on stocks. Brian, I got to say I'm bearish. Um, everybody is predicting a recession. Uh, and while that feels like that means everybody's going to be wrong, uh, all, the, all the statistics we have, our internal gauges are all pointing straight down. They're all red. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a tough year. Now, the second half of the year, I don't know. But the beginning of 23, I, I think you're, you've got to be defensive for sure. So you don't believe then that, that a recession or a slight recession, whatever it may be, a slowdown, whatever you want to call it, has already been priced into the American stock market? No, I don't believe it has. I mean, we, we have adjusted to uh, these what I consider climbing interest rates. Uh, it's good to see inflation uh, slow, but goodness, 6% on an annual basis is still a very fast pace, much higher than the Fed wants, which means they're going to raise rates. Uh, and obviously, everybody's looking into 23 and waiting for that word pause. I don't think they should. I don't think they will. They're data dependent. The data still re- shows that we have a, a steady inflation. Uh, and I think that the markets uh, uh, have been having these nice little bull bear market rallies, uh, but we're overbought in this condition. And I think that uh, market's going to sell off as we get into 23. Wow. You know, you're sounding kind of like, I, obviously you're a super long buy and hold investor, but you know, you watch the markets every day. I'm sure you have to, you're overseeing about $300 billion in teachers and and educators' money. You want to make sure you're a good shepherd of that. I know you're not a day-to-day guy, Chris, but I mean, the market's ripped in the morning on the CPI data on Tuesday only to come back down to earth. Is that kind of what you're talking about, these these short-term bear market rallies, but the overall setup may be a little more negative? 
Well, even longer term, Brian, if you look at how the markets have traded since June 30, which is our fiscal year end, uh, we're actually up uh, on this fiscal year so far. And I've told the board, I don't think that's going to hold. Uh, corporate earnings have got to be hurt by these higher interest rates. So we're going to see some more squeezes as we get into 23 of uh, people who can't adjust to these, you know, rates going up very rapidly. And I think they're going to continue to climb. So it's going to put pressure on balance sheets. We're already hearing about, you know, the labor market is in a very strange position where uh, small business can't find workers, but then, um, you know, the tech firms are laying off and other people are cutting back. So uh, everybody thinks it's a recession. The question is, what's the adjective in front of that? Is it going to be mild or severe? That's tough to predict at this point. And it might, to your point, Chris, it might ultimately be regional. We might have a severe recession somewhere and a more mild recession elsewhere, as we've seen in the past, particularly in housing. But your job is to, you know, protect, grow, but more importantly, to protect the the assets of your educator uh, partners at Calsters. So if we're looking at a pretty tough year for equities, maybe a tough year for bonds, give us your view, probably a tough year for real estate and private equity, how do you protect those assets and what could be a, a tough year for a lot of things? Well, number one, Brian, you hit it on the head. We're long term. So we diversify the assets. We put our, our eggs in multiple baskets. Uh, and you may be right. If it's stagflation, then it's going to be bad for almost every asset class. But so far, private equity has held in there. Uh, real estate just hasn't transacted. Uh, obviously, with higher interest rates, real estate should have some price compression. But we really haven't seen it. People uh, that want to pull their money out, there's not enough buyers around to pick up the properties and prices haven't readjusted. Uh, so we're going to diversify the portfolio. We're defensive. You're right. We don't try and time this market, but we can lean the portfolio defensive or aggressive, uh -huh. depending on our outlook. And we're going to be in other assets that pay cash flow. That's going to be the key, I think, in 2023 is dividends and nice, steady cash flow. Where, where do you find those public equities? Because I do know that you are about 5% under your desired allocation to equities. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I mean by being defensive in this kind of a market. Uh, we're finding it in, in, and you're seeing a lot of institutional investors go into private debt. Retail investors just can't go there. Uh, and that's really a, a change that we saw after 08 due to banks getting out of that business. Uh, there's still infrastructure investments, uh, and we have many that have a nice steady cash flow in them. So I think there are going to be opportunities. And, and as you brought up in fixed income, uh, you know, fixed income's already had a really tough uh, 22. Uh, rates are going to go higher, but you're already starting to see if you can be a buy and hold investor in fixed income, you're seeing some nice return on your assets. When you say fixed income, are you speaking about medium and long term U.S. treasuries or more corporate debt? I'm a bit worried about sovereign debt in here. Uh, you know, the U.S. is set up for a Another problem in Washington where they'll probably use the debt ceiling as a bargaining chip, and that's never good for sovereign credits in the USA and, and around the world. But I think in some good corporate names, uh, I think there's opportunity uh, in, as I said, some of the uh, asset-backed areas, things that we think of as infrastructure, uh, leases, and steady payments provide opportunities that you've got to do your homework. This is a time period where some people are really going to struggle as rates go higher yeah. and not be able to meet their debt service. So the key I, is I, doing your credit. 
I'm going to ask you one quick final question. So if you have to own equities and you have to own everything, do you stick with the Apples, the Microsoft, the J&Js, and dare I say, even some of the big oil companies of the world? Well, Brian, you know, we don't buy individual uh, industries. We buy the whole market. So I think the USA is of, of all the global markets, the USA is in better shape. Uh, there are parts of Europe that might be interesting, but Europe as a whole, the EU is still going to suffer. Uh, the UK is just kind of a mess right now. Yeah. Uh, Asia, uh, I can't say Japan's going to have any economic growth. Good companies, but very slow growth. Um, so it's very tough around the world. Emerging markets are cheap. They've been cheap for two years. So within the equity framework, it's really tough to find anything that is super attractive right now. But I think blue chips in the USA and blue chips global companies uh, are going to continue at least to hold yeah. their value and be worthwhile. And that's being defensive in this kind of a market. All right, there you go. Chris Ailman of Cowsters saying a recession is likely coming next year. And he is bearish. He is worried about the markets. Our big thanks to Chris Ailman for that. All right, now let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines that you need to know about, including Congress maybe once again avoiding a potential shutdown. Savannah now is back with that. Savannah. Hey, Brian, maybe, right? Well, Brian, so top congressional negotiators have announced they've reached and it's a rough agreement on a full year government funding package. The lawmakers did not reveal how much money they had agreed on. Republican Senator Richard Shelby said he and his fellow negotiators should be able to finish the package by next Friday. The news came just hours after the House began moving a stopgap spending bill to avoid a partial shutdown that would have began this Friday. Rupert Murdoch is reportedly set to be deposed next week as part of a, uh, as part of Dominion Voting Systems defamation lawsuit against Fox News. According to reports, the Fox Corps chairman will be questioned Tuesday. Dominion is seeking more than one billion dollars over allegations. Fox News and its on-air personalities fueled false claims the company engaged in voter fraud that rigged the 2020 election. And the Biden administration is reportedly set to put Yangtze memory technologies on a trade blacklist in its continued crackdown on Chinese chip makers. According to Bloomberg, Yangtze, along with 35 other firms, would be prevented from buying certain American parts. Meanwhile, a bipartisan bill to sanction Huawei as well as Chinese 5G companies has been unveiled in the Senate. The legislation would restrict the companies from accessing U.S. banks, accusing them of economic espionage against the U.S., Brian. Oh, big stuff there. They continue <laughs> yeah. to clash. Savannah now. Thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right. Now to a developing story this morning around FTX. A magistrate judge in the Bahamas ordering Sam Bankman-Fried held without bail until February, saying he poses a flight risk. All this on the same day that federal prosecutors out of the Southern District of New York outlined their criminal case against him. Joining us now is CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Segalos. All right, Mackenzie, let's start with Bankman-Fried. He is sitting in a jail in the Bahamas. How long will he be in jail? What is next for him? So it was a rough day for Sam Bankman-Fried, Brian. In terms of getting him back to the U.S. for trial, not much is expected to happen on that front until February 8th, which is the date of his next hearing in the Bahamas. And even then, it's unclear whether Bankman-Fried will be headed stateside because 
Even though the U.S. and the Bahamas have this extradition treaty, the process has numerous appeals built into it. So unless Bankman-Fried agrees to be extradited, essentially waiving his rights here, which his lawyers say he is not going to do, then it could be a while until the ex-CEO of FTX is back on U.S. soil. One legal expert tells me he could put this off for months, if not years. He also has his parents, both Stanford law professors, literally by his side through this. They were physically there in the courtroom yesterday, apparently pretty animated at times. And then all this was happening on the same day that the Justice Department unsealed its eight-count indictment against him, not to mention the civil filings, including conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers and lenders, money laundering, and violations of campaign finance laws. So, you know, we've got both the Securities and Exchange Commission and the agency that regulates virtual currencies, the CFTC, filing charges as well. So definitely not the best day for SBF, Brian. Yeah, and it's not been the best year, certainly for his investors. All right, what is next for this fraud case? Is there anybody else that may get caught in the crosshairs? And I'm looking at you, Caroline Ellison. Right. So when federal prosecutors from the Southern District of New York outlined their criminal case against Bankman-Fried on Tuesday, they made it clear their pursuit of other potentially involved parties linked to the FTX collapse is not over. When asked if authorities will charge other individuals, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District Damian Williams told a press conference, we're not done. And remember that Bankman-Fried was charged with several conspiracy counts, a charge that is a bit hard to justify if he was working alone. And, you know, it's been a big team effort here between the SEC, the CFTC, the DOJ and the FBI. But it's really SDNY that's in the driver's seat because they have the access and the ability to use the grand jury. And that's key because it gives them the chance to hold proceedings secretly. So I am hearing that ongoing pieces of the investigation will remain outside the public's view. Former prosecutors also tell me that there's likely some sort of cooperation with former FTX employees happening now, which is why things have been moving along so quickly. Yeah, a bit hard to conspire with yourself. I'm just saying, if they have <laughs> conspiracy, that means they, they... You did it. Yes, I did. Good for you. I mean, so anyway, there's other people they're clearly looking at. All right. It is another day of congressional testimony. We get to hear how little most members of Congress know about crypto. But that aside, what else are we looking at later today, McKinsey? Right. So today it's the Senate's turn to investigate the implosion of FTX and the knock-on effects for the consumer. The Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs meets at 10 a.m. on the East Coast. We're going to hear from a few professors and the actor and author Ben McKenzie. He's also on the witness list this comes one day after the House Financial Services Committee spent four hours grilling John Ray, the new CEO of FTX. He described a scandal worse than what he saw at Enron when it collapsed 20 years ago. I mean, there was no corporate controls, no corporate oversight, no independent uh, board. And uh, uh, the owners of the business, the senior management had, you know, virtual control of, of the accounts of, of each of the silos and could move money or assets you know, as they desired, undetected uh, by customers. Uh, so, uh, you know, to the extent there were rules, and there were very few, obviously they were made to be broken. So Ray also pointed to the fact that this crime really didn't have much to do with crypto at the end of the day. He said it was an example of embezzlement, among other things. So we're going to be monitoring that hearing today, Brian, see if we get new information from some of those witnesses. Yeah, and still like to hear from members of Congress that took the money from FTX when they will be giving it back. It's amazing 
how many have just gone silent on that topic. It's shocking. Mackenzie Segalos, great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, coming up, it is your morning RBI and how big investors really think the market is going to do next year. And you may want to sit down for it. That is next. It is time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's dive into the stock market and expectations for next year because it is the time of the year where all the big banks start to put out their price targets for the year ahead. Strategists have to go on the record or face being wrong or right. By the way, all of them, all of them were wrong about this year, every single one. But that is the topic for another day. Right now, let's talk about what investors are saying off the record because Deutsche Bank put out their big annual survey of how their clients really believe the market will do over the next year. And this one is much more naughty than it is nice. All right. So what are we looking at here? These columns, there you go, they represent what percentage of respondents think will happen with the S&P 500. Now, the lower line goes from a negative return all the way to minus 30%, that's the far left, to a big gain for the S&P on your far right. And you can see that a majority of the answers are kind of clustered right around the middle. That is to be expected. But there are a couple of outliers on both sides. Either way, overall investors are far from being bullish on stocks next year. The single biggest response that Deutsche Bank clients got is for a drop of about 10% for the index next year. 20% of those surveyed saw the drop of 10% as the most likely outcome for the S&P 500 next year. Maybe in better news, the next highest response was for a gain of about 5% next year, followed by 17% of those saying we could rise about 10% over the next 12 months. So you can take this as a glass half full or half empty argument, kind of depending on how you look at the world probably overall. Half empty is that the single biggest response, excuse me, I'm getting over it, is for a drop. Half full would be that the next biggest responses are for a gain in the S&P 500 and the combined responses were more than the biggest one on the negative side. Hey, we're going to call that the sully side up view, right? But either way, you can see that nearly no one is wildly bullish. And later this week, we're going to bring you more of the official strategist targets. The next year certainly should be random, but interesting and maybe a little painful if all those Deutsche Bank clients are right. Wex is back right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you might have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. hour here in the East. Here we go. Do you think inflation is bad here? Try England. Inflation there is still over 10% as energy costs continue to spike on nearly everything. In crypto, Binance CEO revealing deposits are returning and that things, quote, have stabilized. But after a sharp increase in withdrawals, forced the exchange to temporarily pause transactions. Story number three, Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey admitting he made mistakes as head of the company. Dorsey saying the platform still has significant problems and does not meet any of his principles for social media. Whatever that means. You built the company, Jack. Anyway, Apple reportedly preparing to allow third-party app stores on the iPhone next year. 
the move would put Apple in compliance with new European Union competition law. China has stopped reporting what it classifies as asymptomatic COVID cases. And that move marks the latest turn in a rapid retreat from its COVID zero policy. And one of Tesla's largest retail shareholders calling for the board to perform, quote, shock therapy to resuscitate the stock price, namely by way of a big share buyback. Tesla's stock's been crushed the last two months. And that is your WEX wrap-up. So now let's wrap up what to watch today. All right, here you go. At 7 a.m. Eastern, you get the weekly mortgage applications numbers. They're out. Speaking of housing, homebuilder Lennar will post their earnings after the close today. And there, I think there's something else going. Is there something else going on today? Oh, yes. The Federal Reserve and their rate call and projections for the future. They're out at 2 p.m. Eastern, followed by Jay Powell's last press conference of the year. That's at 2.30. That will be likely a must-watch for all of you with money in the market. So let's wrap it all up with Simeon Hyman, Global Investment Strategist, ProShare Advisor. Simeon, were you aware there, there was a Fed meeting today? I mean, is this, is this on your radar? Uh, my advisors have informed me that there is a meeting today, so I think I'm going to have to watch it with uh, many of the rest of you. Now, is there going to be a difference, all kidding aside, whether they go three-fourths of a percent or a half a percent? Is that, is that quarter percent difference going to matter to how you allocate and recommend allocating your client's money next year? It's, of course, more about what the forward guidance looks like. And, you know, the news on the inflation front has been, of course, encouraging. But the odds of getting close to 2% anytime soon are pretty darn low. If we look at wages, that's the stickiest thing. It's been sitting right around 5%. If we look at a more old school measure, capacity utilization, 79.9, right on that 80 inflection point. So, you know, I think the story is we probably have had a peak of inflation, but it's not going to moderate as quickly as people might hope. And I think we'll hear something in that neighborhood from the Fed. And that's the most important signal. Yeah. And let's say they they give kind of a hawkish takes. I mean, that they they lead more toward, you know, saying that we, we might need to be more aggressive or use words like that. Is that a net negative? For the equity market heading into 23? I, I think only modestly. You know, we've already had the big rally on the long end of the curve. And in the question of that's got to be more about concerns about a hard landing. And interestingly, you know, if you look at the equity markets, mathematically, the entire rally in the equity markets, of course, in the short run, it's about multiple expansion. But the interesting thing about that multiple expansion is it sits right on that trend line of 10-year yield versus multiples, lower 10-year yield, higher multiple. The more concerning thing for the equity markets is that the earnings bill is due in 2023. And we've seen margin compression in the last half of this year. And that's, I think, much more on the uh, should be much more at the top of the list for equity concerns than a few words here or there from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it's going to be it. And certainly that guidance and that press conference, that's going to be what matters. And hopefully next year, Simeon, we can focus more on things outside of the Fed. Simeon Hyman of ProShares, appreciate getting up early, my man. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, you're very welcome. And folks, with that, 
we wrap up another Worldwide Exchange for this Wednesday morning. We're going to see you back right here in 23 hours at 5 a.m. Eastern. In the meantime, Squawk of the Gang, picking up your coverage next. Have a spectacular day. See you tomorrow. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 